highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I gone and have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Usually someone who is trying to justify that they did the commandments of God are usually those who didn't or don't want to or will not. We somehow feel that we have to convince ourselves enough that God will be convinced as well. Well, he's not going to be convinced. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob finalizes chapter 15 in 1 Samuel. Here we learn that Saul is caught in his disobedience. Though the disobedience was the most apparent sin, the root of Saul's disobedience was far worse. It was pride. Samuel referred to this when he remembers when things were different with Saul. Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? It could no longer be said of Saul, you are little in your own eyes. He was big in his eyes, and that made God small in his eyes. We should always remember that pride will rise up against God no matter how we justify it. Now let's join Pastor Rob on and put a crown at the top. We don't, we don't really know what that monument was, but it was basically an ego trip. It's sort of like the Lombardi trophy, <laughs> you know, or the Super Bowl ring or whatever it is. You know, you hold it up and you kiss it and you pass it around to your, all to your other class or, you know, mates and they can kiss it too and everybody gets COVID. But notice that Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and he was gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Now, having been to Israel a couple times, and perhaps you know this as well, I just got one slide for you tonight that I want you to look at, and it's basically this one. And basically, it's a map of Israel, and Mount Carmel, we know, is in the, uh, is in the very north of Israel. It's right up there, um, just west of the Galilee, toward the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. There's a mountain range there by Megiddo, and Mount Carmel is there. But this is not the Carmel that it's speaking of here, because there's also one down in the south, uh, about halfway um, down through the Dead Sea, um, about in the, in the middle of the of the country there, uh, just a little bit uh, east of Hebron, and this is the Carmel that is spoken of here. And so Saul erected a, a monument here as a means uh, to show off his victory over the Amalekites. And then verse thirteen, back in our text, says Samuel. Then goes to Saul, and Saul said to him, "Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord." Did Saul do the commandment of the Lord? No, he didn't, did he? Because half obedience is disobedience, isn't it? He didn't do the will of God. God gave him very clear direction, and God may give you clear direction. And then the question is, are you going to do it, or are you going to do it another way, or are you going to do it halfway, or are you going to do it 75% of the way, 
And that, that, that really hurts me too because there have been moments in my life where, you know, God has told me to do something and I just chomped at the bit and I didn't follow through with it. And who misses out, really? It's me. I miss out from the blessing of being obedient. Believe me, there are blessings for obedience. There's blessings in being obedient. Isn't it wonderful to, to feel like, to know that you're doing God's will and, and, and doing it? And, and you know what? You know the cool thing about I, I love about the Lord? Is that he, first he causes us to will and then to do of his good pleasure. He doesn't force us to do something. You know, if you're thinking that, God, I could not, you know, go into the African country and, you know, and, and minister to the Aka Indians. I couldn't do that. But do you think that our brother had the problem doing that? Do you think God gave him a burden for those people and a deep love for those people? It was very easy for, um, for him to go then because God first caused him to will and then it was very easy then to say, no, all I need you to do is go to them. And he's like, I'm already there, Lord. And I'm so happy to do it. And not everybody has that same thing. It may be something different for you. But God, he, he creates in you a desire to do it. And then you do it. And it's like, it's so easy, really. When he's really called you to do something and you're submitted to him and you're like, and you're really praying about it, Lord, give me a passion for these people. And he does. And then it's so easy then to just go and speak to them. And it's really that simple. Oftentimes, I think people are stepping out when they shouldn't. <laughs> you know, they, they feel guilty because they're not doing anything. And then they step out in the flesh and they find out that God's not with them in it. God will still bless them for their, their, their willingness. But, it, you know, that falls flat on its face and you get kind of discouraged. And then God encourages you, encourages you some more. And then he gives you something to do, and then you go out and do it. And it's a different story then, because now it's his will. Notice in verse 14, but Samuel said, What then, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And this reminds me of sort of like a mother catching a child in the act of doing something. You know, it's like a child, a little boy, like, like me when I was little. I'd hold candy, you know, like uh, cotton candy behind my back, and my mother could smell cotton candy. And here I am standing with my hands behind my back, and she's like, um, I smell cotton candy. Do you have cotton candy? Nope. And I got, you know, pink stuff all over my face, little fuzz, you know, all over my face. Do you have cotton candy? Nope, don't have it. Well, why do I smell cotton candy, and why is it all over your face? Right? Same thing here. Samuel's going, Saul, what is this bleating of the sheep that I hear? I'm trying to sound like Peter O'Toole. What is this bleating of the sheep? It's called busted. Busted. He got busted. And Saul said, verse 15, they, they, notice he's pointing the finger at the people now. It's not about him anymore. They, look at them, Samuel, look at these horrible people. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared, the people did it. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And they did it for such a noble cause too. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. Not my God, but to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. But it's them. They're your problem. It's not the, the blame game. Saul did that in chapter 13 too. Verse 11 and 12, always blaming someone else for his mistakes. They, the people, he's always blaming them, blaming them. And then in verse 21, later on in the same chapter, he's going to say, but the people took of the plunder. The people did it. I didn't do it. It's all of them. Does that sound familiar? Remember Aaron, when he, was, when he made the calf, the golden calf? 
He blamed the people. And then he says, we took all these earrings off and, you know, and they, they made me do it. And then when we finally took all the earrings and the gold off, we threw it in the fire and I'll pop the calf. Wow, that's a miracle. You mean you just took off all the, the, the big, big bowl of earrings, you just tossed them into the fire and I'll pop the calf. Wow, it's great. But yet the Bible tells us that Aaron fashioned it with tools. <laughs> Oops, didn't tell you that part. Are you that kind of person that's always blaming somebody else, never taking responsibility for your actions, for your decisions? James says that a person like that is a double-minded man. He's two-spirited. One side of him says it's like the little devil and the little angel. You don't, you don't want to do that. That's not very nice. Oh, do it. You know you're going to feel It's going to feel good. Please do it. You know you, you want to do it. You know you want to do it. It's going to feel great. No, it's not going to be good. You know, you're, you know. And so you're, you're two-spirited. You've got these two different natures happening. You're vacillating. You're unstable in all your ways, James tells us. And then back in verse 16 in our text, it says, Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. So he's hearing all this stuff, all these excuses, and finally he just says, Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, speak on. And so Samuel said, when you were little, and here's the, here's the rebuke, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Doesn't the Bible say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up? When you were little in the sight, in your sight, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Saul, you started off really insecure. Remember when they finally brought him forth, he was hiding amongst the stuff. He was humble. He was in, insecure. But now he's very secure. Now he's doing silly things. He's, doing, he's very self-willed now that he's had some time under his belt. So verse 18, the Lord sent you on a mission Notice what Samuel says to him, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until what? Until a few of them are left? No, until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Notice that regardless of whether the people did it or he did it, Saul was responsible because he was the leader. God had called him to do it. And honestly, I believe if Saul would have had a backbone, and again, this is the real trial of leadership, but if Saul would have said, you know what, guys, I know you want to take the fine, cat, the fine cattle, and I know it's a really great idea, but God said to do this, and we must do this. We must not take these cows and the, the finest of the things and bring them back. I'm sure the people would have said, okay, we're not going to. That's what the king says. But he's more concerned about pleasing them than pleasing God. He was a man-pleaser. If you're a man-pleaser, you can't serve God. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I gone and have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Usually someone who is trying to justify that they did the commandments of God are usually those who didn't or don't want to or will not. We somehow feel that we have to convince ourselves enough that God will be convinced as well. Well, he's not going to be convinced. He's not going to be convinced. And the disobedient man, he's always looking for exploiting loopholes. He's always looking at the splitting of hairs concerning details. Oh, but I did it, but just I saved Agag and we saved some of the livestock. I mean, I did everything else, though. God's going, that's not the deal. That's not what I ask. 
Notice verse 21, but the people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen. Notice he's blaming them again. But the people did this. It's the people, but the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He sounds so spiritual, doesn't he? We took the livestock to sacrifice because God only wants the best, right? And so this is all going to God and God's going, really? Is that really why you did it? Or did you just want the nice steaks for yourselves? Hmm, I think you wanted the steaks for yourselves. They weren't even thinking about God. Certainly Saul wasn't thinking about God. So Saul here is feigning to be spiritual in his disobedience. And that's even like insult to adding insult to injury. And then saying that they're going to worship with it. Lying to cover up his covetousness and theirs. Verse 22, so Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, remember, to heed then to then the fat of rams. Obedience is the key. Obedience is the key. In Psalm 51, David says, For you did not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. For you do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. That's all God wanted was obedience. And we find it so much easier to do outward acts of devotion than being true and obedient from the heart. And see, God looks at the heart. That's what he sees. That's why God could say David was a man after my own heart. God saw David's heart. Even though he was a young man, not a, wall, a really tall, handsome guy like, like Saul, a warrior. No, he was a younger man. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you, Saul, from being king. And boy, that must have stung. Can you imagine being stung with that? Then Saul said to Samuel, he finally breaks, and he says, I have sinned. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people. Here it is. It comes out. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I didn't obey God's voice. I didn't fear God. I feared them. And the see, folks, this is worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. And there is a difference, right? In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9, it says, Paul speaking to them says, I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. And that's the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow is just upset because you got caught. There's a big difference, right? It's somebody coming forward and saying, you know what? I've, I've been doing this thing for a long time. I want to confess it. I want to be out in the open with it. That's, and then turning from it, that's real godly sorrow. But it's crocodile tears and worldly sorrow when Someone's been doing it for a long time, and they finally get caught. And then they're like, oh, but they're really upset because they got caught. They would have continued in it had they not got caught. See the difference? Worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And he feared the people, fearing man. What does the Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says? The fear of man brings a snare. And it did for Saul, didn't it? This kind of character that was built in him brought his... Ministry brought his kingdom to an end. The Pharisees in Jesus' time, they were like Saul. They were men pleasers. 
Paul encouraging the Ephesians, he says to bondservants, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and in sincerity of the heart as to Christ. And then he says, not with eye service as men pleasers. Men pleasers. In Galatians, he would say to them in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For now do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And there's a difference. I don't want to be a man pleaser. Do you want to be a man pleaser? I don't think any of us here want to be a man pleaser. We want to be a God pleaser. Please the Lord. You know that phrase, God bless America. I like it. But I think we ought to turn it around and say, America, how about you bless God? <laughs> Why don't you turn that around? America, bless God. You've been living like a whore. And you've been eating the fat things and acting like you own everything. And yet you don't even realize that God, you are accountable to. That's the state of America. We have been living like a prostitute. Not everybody, of course. There's exceptions. But our government, many people. Notice in verse 25, Now, therefore, please pardon. Now, notice Saul crying out to Samuel, Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Isn't this misplaced devotion? Devotion Shouldn't he be asking that of God? But now Samuel's standing before him. And see, there's another problem. Saul was so enamored with the character of Samuel that he forgot about the one who made Samuel. Notice he doesn't say, God, please forgive me for what I've done. No, he goes, therefore, please pardon my sin. He's speaking to Samuel. Samuel can't pardon him from sin. Only God can do that. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. What a bitter pill for him, right? And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and he tore it. And so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. He's better than you. That was going to be David. And David was better than Saul. David had a a heart after God. I long to have a heart like that. That's what I want. I want a heart that loves God more than anything else. He's doing it. I I, I mean, I I sense it. Do you feel that too? Are you... Do you have that confidence in your heart that you're going in that direction rather than the opposite? If not, it's not too late to turn yourself around, right? And also, the strength of Israel. And he's speaking about God. This is a, a phrase about him. The strength of Israel. That's God. He will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. And I love that. God will not relent, and he will not lie. And then he said, I have sinned. Saul finally says it again. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. So now Saul is like, just go back and worship with me. Just go back and worship with me around the people. I want them to see you still like like everything, like we're buddy-buddy still, right? We're still buddies. We're still good. We're still good. Are we good? Everything good between us? Can you just go back with me? I know I messed up really bad. I know this is going to come to pass, but just so I can save face. I mean... Just because I, uh, oh. 
Saul wants to save face with the people. Because certainly if Samuel turns around and leaves, the questions are going to come up. What happened? What did he say? So Samuel turned back after Saul. Notice, in, in, his, in grace, Samuel turns back after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord with Saul. Samuel did. First time he said no, and then finally after he tears his robe, he goes, he's like, all right, I'll go back with you. And then Samuel said, bring Agag. Notice Samuel says that. There's, a, there's some unfinished business here. Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously or cheerfully. You can imagine the king now, Amalek, or or Agag, I'm sorry. He's like, "Uh, hey, how's it going? (laughs) You know, this all is over with now, right? I mean, he says, you know, the the bitterness of death has passed, right? I mean, we're good, right? We're good? Everything good? You know, you can take whatever I've got, and I'll just go be on my way. Is that all right? That's literally what it means. He He came to him cheerfully, trying to act like, it already been atoned for. All the bad things, it's all done. Now I can kind of be on my way. I don't even need a ride. You know, I'll just I'll grab my, my naked self, and I'll just go that direction, and you guys just stay over here. I'll even give you my tunic and all that stuff. I'll, just, I'll be going that way, and you guys can go that way, and we're good, right? We're good, right? No. Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces, before the Lord and Gilgal. You know, it just reminds me of that, that phrase, that command, or uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is what you used to do, Agag, and now your mother's going to be childless as well. So then Samuel went to Ramah. So Samuel goes back home after this. Samuel hacks, he finishes the job that God had wanted, him to do, wanted Saul to do to begin with. He didn't do it. Samuel says, I'll do it. And then Saul goes up to his house at Gabeah of Saul. So it's kind of like a real bummer now. <laughs> and can you imagine the people seeing Samuel hack Agag to pieces and realizing at that point that we should have did that. We should have done that. Saul should have done that. I bet all the people at this time, instead of him pointing their fingers at him pointing his fingers at them, they're probably going, "You should have done that." But Samuel does it. And Samuel went no more notice to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted again that he had made Saul king over Israel. And again, God knew. So it's about obedience. Really, that's what this chapter is all about. It's about obedience. God wanted him to be obedient. And I would encourage you as... as a as Aubrey comes up and leads us in worship, I, I just encourage you to just to ask the Lord, you know, if there's anything in you that's keeping you from being obedient, are you willing to be obedient? Or are you still in the driver's seat of your life? Are you still doing things your way? Are you willing to put aside your great desires for whatever it is and say, Lord, if it be your will, if it be your will, and Lord, change my heart, whatever, you, whatever it is that you want to do, Lord, just make my heart willing And I think that's a good place to stop and for us to think about that. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.